Matthew 5, 43 and 44, this is God's holy and infallible word. You have heard that it was said, this is Jesus speaking, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Brothers and sisters, there's, there's a concept out there in the business world called the silo mentality. The business dictionary, yes, there is such a thing as the business dictionary, it defines the silo mentality as a mindset in a company where certain departments don't want to share information with others in the same company. And and the silo mentality will reduce efficiency and morale and bring down productivity. Each department builds up walls, prioritizes its own interests, and, and looks with suspicion on those outside their own little group, their own department. The silo mentality, that idea can help us see what Jesus is talking about in our verses and help us see a major theme in Jesus' ministry. This silo mentality is an approach to life that that seems to be in our nature. By nature, we take sides. By nature, we make it about us versus them. By nature, we don't collaborate. If someone is in my group, I tend to magnify their good qualities and overlook the negatives. But if someone's outside my group, over there, they're an outsider, I tend to look for the bad and I overlook the good. And that can happen in departments in the workplace. It happens with friend groups at school. It's how Democrats look at Republicans and Republicans look at Democrats. We do it, right, if we're honest. It's how people of different nationalities and ethnic groups can look at each other. And and trust me, it happens between parents of players on opposing teams in school sports. A few of us Timothy parents were watching a basketball game just this past week at Aurora Christian. It was the sixth grade team that that, uh, Hannah was playing on that day. And, And we were sure that the Aurora Christian parent keeping score was giving extra points to their home team. Actually, they were, but we were sure it was on purpose because, of course, those parents are the bad guys and we're the good guys. So even Christians, even pastors, even churches can have a silo mentality. There's a story told of a man who was walking on the Golden State Bridge when he saw a woman standing by herself, obviously lonely, And he went up to her to tell her that God loved her. A tear came to her eye, and then he asked her, are you you a Christian? Are Are you a Jew or a Hindu maybe or what? I'm a Christian, she said. And he said, me too, small world, Protestant or Catholic. Protestant, me too. What denomination? Baptist, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? Northern, he said, me too. Northern conservative Baptist or northern liberal Baptist? Northern conservative Baptist. That's amazing. Me too. Northern conservative fundamentalist Baptist or northern conservative reform Baptist? Northern conservative fundamentalist Baptist. Remarkable. Me too. 
Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes region or Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Eastern region? Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes region. A miracle, he said. Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. He then shouted, die, heretic, and pushed her over the rail. (laughs) And you know I'm not doing that just to pick on Baptists. I could have done it with Presbyterians, Reformed, but that's the story. The silo mentality, us versus them, this human tendency that even reaches us who are believers, it goes back through the entire course of the human race. In in Roman times, there were things called curse tablets. Archaeologists have unearthed tons of these, and and what, what seemed to be on them is that people were writing out a curse against their enemy And then laying that like in a temple area and praying to their gods to go get them. Greek philosopher Xenophon gave this advice. A man should give help to his friends and give trouble to his enemies. When Jesus said in our verse 43, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That was just conventional wisdom of the day. A proverb, common knowledge, you hate your enemies, you give them trouble. And that tended to spill over to hating anybody outside yourself, any outsider. But then Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus operated very differently. Jesus breaks down the silos. Hannah Arendt was a German-born philosopher who came across the ocean and was at Princeton. She said that forgiveness and love of enemies is a distinctively Christian contribution to the human race. Jesus did not demonize outsiders or people from the other group. Samaritans among God's people in Jesus' day, were considered half-breeds and ungodly. Israel hated them, and the Jews would purposely avoid the the region of of Samaria, even if that made them have to travel many hours longer to get to their destination. That's how much they hated them. Jesus wanted to stop in a Samaritan village once, but it was not welcoming to him a Jew. And so the disciples said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Jesus' followers thought he would be so pleased that they were taking a stand. They were on Jesus' side against his enemies. But Jesus turned and he admonished his disciples for that attitude. Jesus went out of his way to give people a different attitude towards these outsiders, these number one group of outsiders in his day. In John 4, we talked about this a few weeks ago, he befriended a five times married Samaritan woman, and she became one of the greatest evangelists in the Bible. We read that many believed after hearing her testimony. And once the Gospels tell us that Jesus healed 10 lepers, 
the one that was the Samaritan of the ten, is the only one who thanked him. And then there's the story about an Israelite, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan, and it's not the beginning of a joke. It's a story that makes the Samaritan the hero. The people group that God's people despised are referred to and, and, and remembered today by everyone as good because of that parable of the good Samaritan. The disciples saw Jesus treating enemies as if they were on the same side as them and saw Jesus loving them as well as his own people. He was showing them concretely just what he told them to do. Love your enemies. And once Jesus did this in a really dramatic way. Early on in his ministry, he tells his disciples that they're going to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. This is in Mark 5. And that region was called the Decapolis. And I don't know if we're too familiar uh, uh, with it. That was where the seven original nations of Canaan had settled. The ones they were supposed to totally wipe out. So like remnants of the Philistines and the Amorites and whatever. It was filled, this region, with pagan temples that exalted violence, it exalted adultery. The pig, which was unclean for the Jews, was considered sacred over there and used in worship in that region. So it was this dark, evil, demonic, oppressive place. And I'm sure the disciples wondered, why are we going here? Doesn't Jesus know that God's kingdom is on our side of the Sea of Galilee. It's not for them. But they went over there to this dark region. Crowds didn't come like were gathering around him in Israel, but just this one single deranged guy who it turns out was possessed with multiple demons. The demons spoke, or the lead one did, and said through the guy, what do you want from me? Swear to God you won't torture me, he said to Jesus. And Jesus asked the evil spirit his name, and he said, My name is Legion, for we are many. The evil spirit asked to be sent into the pigs nearby, and that's what Jesus did. And those pigs rushed over a cliff to their death. People from the area came over to see what had happened and they begged Jesus to leave, probably because they saw his power. They knew he wasn't one of them. He was from the other side and that they were worried as, as, as part of the other side, he would use his power to hurt them. Jesus agreed to go for now and he, he told the healed man to tell others in his area, how much the Lord had done for him in freeing him of that evil spirit. And, and he did. And all the people were amazed. A short time later, and this is Mark 7.31, great crowds gathered to see Jesus when he went back into that region. And the people were bringing their sick. And so the seven nations of Canaan were praising the God of Israel on the first visit, no one was around, but the second time, we see one of the most dramatic responses and turning to Jesus in all the New Testament. These outsiders 
were more receptive to Jesus almost than anywhere else. In those chapters in Mark, uh, there are a couple interesting things that John Ortberg talks about. In Mark 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 in Israel. And, you know, remember there are 12 baskets left over. And it's as if Jesus is saying, me, I, the bread of life, I'm for God's people. I'm for the 12 tribes of Israel. Two chapters later, he feeds a huge group again, this time 4,000. It's in the Decapolis, and seven baskets are left over. And it's as if Jesus is saying, the bread of life is for you too, the seven nations of Canaan. And, And so we see that Jesus has good news for this side, and he has good news for the other side. Why is that? How is that? What's going on? What is Jesus telling us? Well, Jesus is showing us that our idea of sides and insiders and outsiders and and who we make enemies, our, our concept of all that is very, very small. From the biblical perspective, from the divine perspective, There is only one side that matters, and every single person is on it. The Bible says we are all apart from God. And we're focused on that right now in our study of the book of Romans. Jew, Gentile, immoral people, nice people, men, women, children, all in the same boat, every single one in sin apart from God. And Jesus has come to bring the good news of salvation to all those in darkness, which is everybody. You just need to believe in him and call on his name. Receive the gift of God's grace through faith. This is the mission of God. It's good news for all people, regardless of the group. It's the news that all nations would be blessed through Jesus. So for the sake of Jesus, we're called to break down the silos that it is in our human nature to build and to stay in. The ultimate silo that we like to build and stay in is, is just ourselves. That can be our tendency, not having very many Christian friends or or connections, isolating ourselves from others. And and when we do that in life, that's just what the devil wants, that we are living in a silo alone. Because an isolated sheep will be able to be picked off by a wild animal, and an isolated Christian will be able to be picked off by an enemy much easier than one that's in the thick of the flock with all the other sheep of God. And so through worship, through opportunities for fellowship and Bible studies and service, we make connections. We break out of that individual silo we sometimes like to stay in. And you know, the body of Jesus, the church can do so much more when we are working together, appreciating one another and our various gifts and ideas and approach to things. God wants his people to live life together. We're here for one another We make ourselves open to receive help when we need help. We're partners together in this great work of God. 
looking beyond our own local church, our own congregation, 50 years ago, you know, all denominations were individual silos. That's how it, that's how it operated. Uh, all the different types of Reformed churches and Baptists and Presbyterian and Methodist, every single denomination was their own silo, doing their own thing, not partnering in the mission of God, looking at other groups of Christians with suspicion, just as in the business world, in the Christian world, a silo mentality hinders the mission and vision of God for the worldwide church. And today, as you know, we partner with many different Bible-believing organizations. And that's a good thing. That doesn't mean we lose our principles or who we are as a church. We are secure enough in our own faith and who we are that we can be a Reformed church, a distinctively Reformed church, and yet participate with other believers in God's great mission around the world. You know that in centuries past, Catholics and Protestants killed one another because of their differences. And now there are still differences, but look how much we work together. We accept the baptism of Catholics here in our church. That, that seems normal, obviously, yes, but that didn't happen years ago. And all Christians everywhere across the board so appreciate the, the Catholic Church's respect for life and how the Catholic Church in our nation has really led the way on the whole idea of the sanctity of, of human life. And so we work together in the many ways that we can. Our church supports a Catholic orphanage in Honduras. That never would have happened in a Reformed church not that long ago. But we are richer and the church is stronger, I believe, for breaking down the silos. Satan loves the silo mentality because it's the old order. He wants to scatter God's sheep because he knows the body of Christ is more powerful and can do so much more together. And then we think of people of other religions, Jews, Muslims. What about ISIS? Terrible, terrible evil. And so unspeakable. You know what it is. I'm not even going to repeat it up here. Bless those who persecute you, says Jesus. Really? Is that the response? We are seeing from Jesus' followers today. Stephen was being martyred, and as the stones pummeled his flesh, just before his last breath, he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. Those weren't just empty words. Jesus knew something about What's going on today? Jesus knew about enemies. Jesus knew about persecution. He knew where things were heading for him and his divine wisdom when he said the things he said and did the things he did. The Bible says he went like a sheep to the slaughter. 
And hanging from the nails on the cross, he prayed for his tormentor's forgiveness too. I don't think the church can easily say what our country should do and how we should respond in the face of militant Islam, but certainly we can say that our ultimate goal is that they too will truly understand that we are all of us children of God who have been separated from our Heavenly Father through sin. But there is good news for us, there is good news for them in Jesus who died on the cross and rose again, we can be brought to the Father's side and we can be at peace with others. May little Sammy and all of our children grow up to be silo breakers as we live for Jesus in our homes, in our church and beyond breaking down the us versus them mentality that that can still exist in in our personal lives. It can be in the church. It can be between churches and beyond. I believe each one of us needs to ask the Lord what these strong words of his and strong actions mean for us as we have our tendencies to, to, to demonize others. May we live with the divine vision that we are all in need of a Savior. May we, with every, in every way we can, support the mission of the good news going out that Jesus has come for all sides, all people, to you and me just as much as any other person you can think of. That person who has a different political view than you. That person who has different ideas than you do about the church. That person with different religious views than you. And, and even those Packers fans. Jesus came to bring the good news of the love of God For everyone. He offers salvation for all who believe. He says, He invites, follow me. We look at people differently now. We look at them as image bearers of God. We look at them as people for whom Jesus has come and people who we are working together with to get the news out to and praying for that response, that that God would be working in their hearts and they'd respond to Jesus. This is our message. This is our mission. Amen.